which is originally from the Agadekala in Pashas Tetzave. Quotes the Pusik this week. Pusik says, Avodis Matuna et Naskeinaschem. So the Agadekala explains that there are, as the Bnei Soscha, explains there are two kinds of uh, avoided that a person does for Hashem. There's Avodis Masa and Avodis Matuna. Somebody who is not so far removed from this world, and it's not so easy for him to detach from worldly pleasures and do things that he wants and, and, and serve Hashem. So for such a person, the avoided that he serves Hashem is called Avodis Masa. It's not so easy for him. But somebody who is on a higher level than that, and he actually feels a geschmack in, in his avoid Hashem. He finds in this world, you know, the Hanua of Me'en Olam For that kind of person, it's called Avodis Matuna. The Avoida is a Matuna. It's not something that's a burden. So he brings from his great uncle, the Heidi Reb Zisha. He says that Reb Zisha said that he's not, he doesn't expect any schar for all the Avoid Hashem that he did from when he started realizing, you know, the, the, the greatness of Hashem and the greatness of serving Hashem. The main schar that he's, that he's neget is only when he was still doing things, you know, when it was still hard for him. And that's how he explains the, the difference between the two kinds of avoid. Avoid matunet means Hashem is telling us that we will um, achieve a madrega, that we will actually enjoy serving Hashem. So on the one hand, we find that avoid masa is definitely considered a bigger madrega because if a person is doing something when it's hard for him, he gets more schar for it, as opposed to somebody who's doing something because he has a geshmak in it. On the other hand, we find that when a person grows in Madraiga, he's expected to be able to serve Hashem on a higher level. It's not supposed to be such a burden anymore. When somebody comes to a certain realization of the greatness of Hashem, the realization of the greatness of serving Hashem, and the, and the, and the big schis and the privilege it is to serve Hashem, it's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different kind of avoider. And very often when it comes to relationships, you find that there are people that are doing one for another, which is typical when it comes to relationship, people are doing for each other. There's always the give and take in every relationship. And sometimes it's, it's, it's all one big burden. You, you find that somebody would rather not have to give and do and service and help. And very often where you see the difference is when somebody's doing something with the intention of getting back. You know, I'm doing this for you. Why can't you do that for me? You know how much I did for you? You know how much I, I did so much for you. I, I just I put in so much effort and you didn't even see it. And it becomes a whole give and take where the whole giving is only because, you know, I'm looking for something back. And that shows that it's a this master. You know, I'm not really happy doing for you. Now, as close as we are, as much as I have to do for you, as much as I say I want to do for you, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not easy for me. That's why I keep on looking to see if I'm getting it back. And, you know, when, when you reach a certain understanding, let's call it, a certain closeness, we you're happy to do for someone. You're actually happy to do for someone. You know, it's a whole different story. You're doing it for someone because you want it. You feel good about it. You're not looking every minute to get something back. Now, I know it's a little idealistic to be able to treat a spouse or treat another adult the way you treat a baby and understand that even if it's just a one-way relationship, or even if you're just giving and giving, you're not getting everything back necessarily, or not everything is being acknowledged or appreciated or noticed. But there's something about it. There's something about trying to pick up on the little things that you could do for someone without getting anything back, without even having it be noticed or acknowledged. I think I once read this idea from Rabbi Victor Miller. That's all. He said that you know, sometimes you want to do someone a favor, or for your spouse, you want to do something, something that they won't even know you did. Some won't even know they, they won't even notice if you put something away or pick something up or you straighten something out or you helped with something, you made something easier for them. They won't even notice it. And you're not going to tell them you did it. You can do it just to help yourself achieve a certain amount of giving attitude where you feel good about giving someone. It's not anymore that void is mass, it's a void is matuna. And very often that, that brings closeness. People don't realize how much giving brings closeness. People think that when I get enough, that's when I'll be close. But when you give, 
and you do it in a, in a, you know, with a good feeling, not necessarily looking to get something back, or, not, or, or certainly not going to use it against someone, you know what I did for you, you know, that's a, something that brings closeness. So if we could try to implement that in our relationships and see how we could be even more giving, you know, it's something that uh, very often could be very helpful. So I'm going to designate this class this week to be um, about feedback that I got. Now let me just mention this. I get a lot of feedback. You can be sure every week. People send me a lot of feedback. The good and the bad and everything in between. And I appreciate all kind of feedback. That's for sure. Um, I'm just going to men- mention a few feedbacks that I got that I accumulated over here. Um, I-, I hope it doesn't come across wrong. So let me just explain wh- what I mean with this. These classes that I give, these shirim that I give when it comes to Shulam Ba'is and Chinuch, I, I do it as a service to the public. I try helping out with information and clarity or whatever else, whatever kind of ideas and, and helpful insights I could share. Um, I, I don't think that when I give an answer to a question, I'm addressing the person that's sending the question necessarily. I don't think I'm necessarily answering their question or giving them the guidance they need. And I often mention, if you need real guidance, you should be getting one-on-one guidance. Somebody you could discuss it with, somebody you could, you know, Make sure that you're understanding what's being said. Make sure the person who's giving you the guidance understands what you need. You know, that, that's what one-on-one is about. These, cl- these classes are simply about sharing ideas. And that's why even the one person sending the question, I, I tell the answer to everyone. Because I think that everyone could you know, um, benefit from hearing the ideas. But I, I don't see this as replacing um, something that somebody could use as some one-on-one guidance. And the reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes I answer a question. And the questioner will write back, you know, thank you for the answer. But in my case, and, and go on to a whole thing. Now... Again, I didn't mean to give you counseling with this with this shir. So if I misinterpreted something, or you feel for whatever reason that you know this, this shir didn't answer your question or didn't pertain to your situation specifically, that's fine. Don't don't get defensive about it. Don't think that you don't feel the need to answer me and explain why what I just said, if it demanded something of you, for example, you know, was a little off because in your case it's really not. No, I'm fine with that. And and the same token, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm getting defensive when somebody asks me a question about some guidance I gave, and I'm gonna now stick up for it and show that I'm right. Could be I'm wrong. I'm fine being wrong. I'm fine knowing that there's different opinions. I'm fine knowing or even not knowing that what I said didn't pertain to the to, to your situation. It's all it's all fine. So I don't want I don't want anyone. Just like I try not to take personally if somebody disagrees with me. I don't want anyone to take personally if I disagree with them. And I'm, I I I hope I don't come across now as just trying to defend things that I said in the past. I'm trying to explain things and get, offer more clarity. I'm always. Wondering if when somebody sends in a comment that something wasn't clear or something is questionable, and maybe other people also felt that it wasn't clear. And I just, I'm just using this opportunity to clarify what I said, not necessarily to, to be right. Um, that's first of all. One more thing that I do want to mention is that th- this world is a very unfair place. Okay? Not, not everything is fear. And very often I'll, I'll say something that somebody will find, either the person who sent in the question originally or somebody listening will find emotionally challenging. Let me explain what that means. You could hear a share sometimes about something about Yiddishkeit, let's say, right? If you, you should make this in this Cheshma Nefesh, you should, you should do something better, you should improve yourself. And people get defensive. And they feel, you know, why are you telling me to improve this? Really, you should be improving that. This is not so important. I did that already, whatever. It doesn't work for me, whatever. People don't realize sometimes, and we're all people, we're all human, we all have it in our own, uh, in our, our own blind spots and, and, and subjectiveness, that you're getting emotionally challenged about something, and that's why you feel like it doesn't pertain to you. Now you're trying to explain why it doesn't pertain to you, but it's really all emotional. And very often you need a third party to hear two, two people debating about something, the third person, right, the, the, the onlooker will be able to say, nah, I think that one, that's the one that makes sense, right? Because one is often more logical, one is more emotional. And people don't realize sometimes that they get emotional about things that pertain to them. 
And I'm saying it now about things that pertain to relationships. Often I'll say something in a shir, and either, either, like I said, either the person sending the question or people listening will realize that, hey, that demands something of me. What he just said means that really my husband's not at fault, or maybe my wife is not all that bad, or maybe I should be giving more, and only then I'll... And, and people get emotionally challenged by those ideas. And, and that's why they feel the need to defend themselves, to stick up for themselves, to explain why, no, I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have, my, my situation is different, you don't understand, my wife is not really, she doesn't mean my good, she's not doing it because, blah. and people don't realize sometimes that you're just getting emotional about something, and we all do, and when you think about it, maybe the advice given, or the idea shared, was really a logical idea, and maybe it's very hard, it could be very hard for you. So to get emotional and feel the need to explain why you don't feel obligated by what was just said to do something, it's okay. You don't. You don't have to emphasize. It could be very hard. I'm just sometimes. Sometimes just understanding that when people, you know, get a little defensive and get a little personal and start real and start taking apart how they feel about something, you know, sometimes again, just sometimes, it could be. I'm just emotionally challenging. So sometimes if I say something that doesn't resonate with everyone, it's always good to realize like could it be because this obligates me or makes me feel uncomfortable and things like that. So anyway. I'm just, I'm just mentioning all this as a disclaimer before I start reading any feedback. I don't mean to say that the people sending in feedback are getting emotional. I don't mean to say that they're getting defensive. I'm just mentioning that I don't see this... I, I, the two points were that I don't, I don't want to see this as me debating anyone. I'm fine if anyone feels differently than me. That's first of all. Second of all, sometimes people talk about themselves and they feel challenged without realizing that that's an emotional response. And I understand. I understand. It, it, it could be difficult sometimes to hear things in the way that, the way they are. Like I said, we, we, we all get that way, so hope nobody takes anything I say personal. Um, so let me let me mention here three feedbacks that came in. It seems it was after a shia. I'll, I'll be honest with you, when I read these feedbacks, I don't go back to the shia that I said and start um, comparing notes, and I'm usually very consistent. The things I'll say today I probably did say in the past. So let me just mention, in short, three feedbacks that I got on, a, on probably on a certain shia or two, because it came uh, relatively close in time. So here's the first. I firstly want to thank you for all your shirim, which are accessible free of charge, and with such clear advice. Thank you. I wanted to address a topic which is on the sensitive side. I'm at the point where I'm heading to listen to Shaduchim for my child, Baksham, but it traumatizes me since I feel like there is so much that I haven't figured out yet myself in marriage. This is regarding the bedroom. I feel that as a kala I was taught one thing that should be done. That was the beginning and the end. Here and there I heard little tidbits which is allowed and what isn't. So at this point there's guilt and shame knowing that I may have done things that are not allowed. Or the opposite, desiring things that I don't know if it's okay. It's definitely not something my husband would feel comfortable discussing with a dying. I feel that people should know what's okay and what's not. And where can we find those answers if not, if it's not comfortable discussing? If there's any way I can get some information, that would be so appreciated. Thank you. That's one. Another writer writes to me. Okay, the main reason for this email is because of the topic of intimate relations. This is something that is never explicitly spoken about or taught to new couples. I'm talking in graphic detail, and that is something I'm sure is desperately needed in today's times, especially with all the information available on a smartphone today. I'm confident to predict that 95% of men and women have browsed the subject online, and the contradiction of fantasy and reality must be mind-boggling for everybody involved. Giving shurim on the subject and offering people to email you to discuss their questions in more detail is a mitzvah that only you could do. You give such a shir and speak in, gen- in generalities with with the offer to discuss particulars in private, and I guarantee you that Hashem will provide you a special shot in Ganadin for that. Okay? What a, what, a, what a guarantee. Okay, and now a third question. Hi. So this morning I listened to you share regarding intimacy with awe. It's something I needed for a while, and let me explain. So I'm also one of those women that are on, are on an online forum. Although my filter blocks the intimacy, the intimacy thread, I find my way in sometimes. 
After reading through one of those threads, I found some new ideas and had my husband go and ask a child about something. After a long conversation, my husband figured out that he was never really Oisik and Mitzvah Oina properly, and from there things got much better, Baruch Hashem. And that was after a few years of being married. At this point, at that point, I was very resentful to the system and felt very cheated. And I was very thankful that I came across that website. It left me very confused at such a great outcome from such a, from such a source, that such a great outcome from such a source bothered me. If only we would have known it from a better source. And when you mentioned that eventually every couple gets it, guess what? We didn't. And I, also, and I always considered myself to be the know-it-all. When I mentioned to the Rav that I'm bothered by why my husband or I wasn't told about it, he, t- he said it's a painful parasha. Maybe you can explain why this is something that many are hiding and not talking about. Are there different views about that? Or what? Since then, I'm hooked to that website and always fooled myself in that it's not real nivel peh. And I'm not the only one ever... And, I, and I'm not the one ever writing, just writing anything, just peeking to see what others are saying. And at this point, I'm very happy the way things are going between us and I really don't think there's anything I'm missing out. I'm just browsing for curiosity and for fun from which, for which I now got the missile I needed. Right? Um, that's... that's Referring to something that I mentioned then, that um, looking up these things online and discussing these things are on the vulpe. But regarding my second paragraph, if you can give me such, some clarity on the topic, uh, on the topic and chizik, that I had to figure these things out from such a bad source. Thank you again for your stream. They are very enlightening. So, those are three emails about the same idea. And I don't want to elaborate too much. I, I must have discussed this in the past. So I'm, I, I want to mention... I want to mention just a few points. My, my first point will be just intro, by way of introduction. I don't think I'm going to address this again, okay? Because sometimes when you are brave enough to discuss things that others don't, then your whole share and your whole platform just becomes about the topics that others don't want to discuss. And I, I'm, that's not what I do. I'm here to discuss relationships and from bias and chinuch and help people understand relationships in general. So I don't want this to become a controversial platform where I'm just discussing whatever anyone else will shy away from. I do discuss one-on-one with whoever wants, that's men only, um, things that, that are important and things that people feel important to discuss, but, not, but, but this is not where I plan on doing it. So let me now go on to, the, to what was asked in brief. Just recently, I got an email from somebody actually, some woman, who was discussing her situation and asked me, I think it was like seven questions on this topic, seven specific questions. Is this allowed? Is this not allowed? Is this better or worse? I was very tempted to answer the questions. And the reason why I was tempted to answer the questions was for two reasons. One, because I wanted to offer clarity to somebody who's looking for it. And number two, I wanted to show that there is clarity. Seven questions. Each question had a clear answer. A very clear answer. Each question had a very clear answer, either yes or no, or there's a way around that, or there's a way to deal with that. You know, like something very, very specific. I actually even wrote up, I drafted an email, and I showed it to somebody who I sometimes am sure that I with when it comes to these things. And he told me, no, you don't answer these things by email. What if it's a booker asking you this question? What if this email will go further? What if the information will be misused? What if it will be misinterpreted? And that's when I realized, you know, that's right. So even though I'm tempted to show that this clarity and to offer the clarity, it's just not, it's not, the, way you, it's not the way you offer certain, it's not the way certain things are discussed. I, I mean, so the question remains, well, what, is, what, is, what should a person do if they're ashamed to discuss in person with somebody? And, and in an email reply, I mentioned, you know, listen, I have answers for you, but I think that's something you have to discuss with someone. And the answer was, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed. So what do you do when somebody's embarrassed to discuss something that has to be discussed? What do you do when you're embarrassed to go to a doctor? Right? You don't want a doctor to check you. It's embarrassing. Either because you have to get undressed or because you have to discuss private information or because somebody might see you in the doctor's office or for whatever other reason. What do you do? What do you do? I don't know. What, what do you do? You start asking Google information about your, about your medical, about your health. 
you know, there are, there are sensitive topics. They have to overcome certain shamefulness if you want to get clarity. And there's a way to achieve clarity. You can't, you can't tell people, well, if only they would give out the health magazines in a way that they would discuss every little problem, so I don't have to go to the doctor. Either because I'm too lazy or I'm too busy or I'm ashamed. It's just not a way to do things. So when the Torah addresses things, just recently, actually, I had somebody also who was um, ashamed to discuss certain shyness with roof. And it was not about this topic, it was about other things. But other things, it was embarrassing to ask those questions, whether it was a shtikol chashemish petition and other things that were involved, even the ways or whatever it was, it was embarrassing. I came to me for clarity, and I, said, I kept on saying, listen, I, I wish I could help you, I'm not a roof. You have to go to a roof. And I, and I helped him articulate the questions in the least embarrassing manner, and I encouraged him to go to a roof, and find the right roof that he would feel comfortable with, and one that was knowledgeable enough, and all that, I, and I understand that it is sensitive. And not everyone feels comfortable just knocking on any roof's door and just discussing anything. But if you want clarity, and you want Torah clarity, and you want to know what the Torah says, and you want to know what the Ibishta wants, that, that's what you do. If you're going to stay stuck in your place and be upset at the system for whatever reason, I'll mention in a moment why the system is not offering something the way you want it, the way that it would be easiest to, and the most accessible, then you might be left without the clarity you need, and you might be doing yourself um, um, damage and harm by not, um, you know, by, 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 not, by not looking for the answer in the right way. Now, like I mentioned before, the reason why I was tempted to answer the email wasn't just because I'm looking to offer this kind of guidance in the email. It's because I wanted to show two things. First of all, there is clarity, and what the clarity is. And second of all, what I keep on mentioning. The questions you're asking is nothing to be ashamed of. Those seven questions, they were pretty explicit and pretty uncomfortable. I understand why somebody would be uncomfortable asking them, but I can tell you, these are questions that everybody asks. Everybody asks. You just don't ask them in public, so you don't know. Just like everybody does the same thing by a doctor, and you, they don't do it in public, but you assume that everyone does. You don't go to the doctor and, and ask, are you sure this is what everyone does? Everyone takes off the shirt to be checked? Yeah, they do. <laughs> you go to a hospital, for good reasons only, it should be, and yeah, yeah, you have to put on a hospital gown. You may not have seen all your friends in hospital gowns, maybe you did, but, but that's what everyone does. So anyone asking a question, one of the reasons I'm tempted to answer the question is to show, yeah, I know this question, I heard it many times, I know the answer to that question, what's the big deal? So again, because it's so taboo, and because we don't discuss these things in public, and it's not, it's not idle to discuss it in public. That's why people assume, that's why people are embarrassed to discuss it. You should know that whoever you can ask this question to any, any responsible um, person, who, any responsible and knowledgeable person who deals with these things has heard this question from many people. And even if you're not going to share what's on your mind, that person knows what's on your mind and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Another important thing that I want to mention is a lot of times we look at these things like, oh, this is so hidden. Why is it so taboo? Why doesn't anyone tell us? Very many answers to very many questions. I know not everything. I know what the differences are, but very many answers to very many questions are not as taboo as you think. They're either explicitly spelled out in Mishnah Brida or Shachan or many, of the, or many of the resources that are available today. You don't have to go online and hear from, from you know, not good sources, things like that. Let me just mention, let me just mention that. Um, there's definitely reading material, whether it's in English or Shankoidish. I'm, I'm talking about Uras Komas that, you know, from Erlich that discuss these things. So this is where I believe that people, when people try avoiding the healthy way of doing things and they want to hear it in an online class that's available for everyone, which you don't know who's going to access it, you don't know how sensitive information is and why it's being spoken about in public, or you, or you want to do it by email, hiding behind the email address, it's not the way to do things. Fafaon. So I, I, I do think and I do encourage everybody to talk to somebody one-on-one, discuss, you, discuss your situation, discuss what you're dealing with, discuss your question, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't sit there resentful say, why didn't they tell me it? I, for whatever reason they didn't tell you and, and let me like I mentioned that for a minute there are different opinions about what should be taught and what is taught and what's right or wrong there are 
just like everything else. It's not, you know, sometimes you hear something and you get all excited about it. You see, that's the right way. Why, how come nobody else? Who says the right way? Maybe it's the wrong way. Maybe there's a bunch of ways. Maybe there's different opinions. It's like everything else in life. So instead of getting stuck over why somebody um, did you wrong by not telling you something, when that person is of the opinion that it shouldn't be taught up front, and there's a reason why certain things are not mentioned, and there's different opinions about what's right and wrong. So it's very nice to say, well, we found out now that we weren't doing things right. Who said you weren't doing things right? Maybe some felt that you were doing things right. I don't know. So again, I don't mean to stick up for anyone. I'm talking about dealing with the Matthias. If, if, if there's a certain something you're looking for, get it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. And find out what it is. And if you don't, and, and if you're going to refrain, you're going to be ashamed, then you might be, you might be missing out some, from some important information. So instead of talking about why didn't somebody just throw it at me, without realizing there might be a reason why it wasn't thrown at you up front, um, I think you should, you should deal with that. The fact that, like some, one of the questioners mentioned, the fact that today everything's available online, so we should be teaching it in a healthy way, so you don't find it the wrong way, I, I, I don't get that argument exactly. Again, I'm not here to stick up for anyone. I'm just saying the fact that people could do things worse doesn't mean that we lower our standard or do things differently because of it. Right? Just like you don't have, you, know, you can find everything online today. It doesn't mean that, that your doctor doesn't walk around making house calls and checking up on you because if he doesn't, then you might just go online and find out you know, what, what you should be doing. There's a, there's a way to do things. There's a way to do things. There's a way that responsible toilet can even do things. And the fact that people could be doing worse things doesn't mean that you do things in a way that whoever it is is of the opinion that it's inappropriate and wrong. I also want to mention another point that I know a lot of people don't like hearing. Okay? I'll preface it by saying that yes, getting um, the idea of intimate relationships, intimacy correctly and doing it right is extremely important. Extremely important. There are very few things that the Sheikh Nurek talks about where a husband or a wife could both tell the, each other, well, this is not working, so I'm out. And when it comes to intimacy, it's one of the things, yeah. Either a husband can tell a wife or a wife can tell a husband, listen, this is not working, it's not being done the right way, and this marriage is not working. And it's true. It's an extremely important part of marriage. I'm not, I don't mean to downplay or trivialize in any sense how unhappiness in this regard could lead to unhappiness in a relationship. It's true. I do want to mention, however... Sometimes you just, have to, you just have to put it on the table. The fact that in secular society, everything is out there. Everything is taught. Everything is educated. Everything is free information. Everyone knows everything. And people aren't happier. People aren't happier. So I know some people say, well, it's not a, it doesn't mean anything. There's reasons why. And what I, the divorce rate. The, again, I'm just mentioning the point. The fact that where this information is available free of charge to anyone, with nothing hidden, nothing taboo, and everything spoken about, and people aren't happier in their relationships than we are, in sheltered communities or sheltered societies where we speak about these things less openly and we teach about it less and we promote it less or whatever you want to call it. It says something. I'm not saying that you should be happy now with things you don't know and I'm not saying you should refrain from finding things out. I'm just mentioning that sometimes you would assume that if only I was taught X, Y, Z and if only I was, no, I, I was notified of everything in advance, I'd be much happier in my relationship. I think we could, we could attempt to conclude that that may not be the, the, the key. The key to relationships is an emotional connection. The key to relationships is when people are open with another and connected with one another and, and loving and caring. And very often that emotional connection is what actually helps people pursue a certain physical happiness and a certain um, closeness and understanding. And very often when people are not emotionally connected and they're feeling disconnected or they're feeling uncomfortable in a relationship, then they're going to assume that if only we would have been taught that or if only intimacy would have been better or if only this or that, then we'd feel more connected. That's something I just want to challenge and say it may not be, this, may not be that way. I believe... Uh, couples who, who work on their relationship and they feel close to one another and they're really on one page and at some point they realize that maybe they were doing things wrong or maybe they didn't find out or maybe whatever it is I think that those are the people 
and like I mentioned, somebody's quoting me, those are people that, that get it along the way, and those are the people that are okay with what they got along the way, and those are the people that work together to get things instead of coming up with reasons why things aren't working. So, again, all I want to say to all this feedback is, I'm not changing the system, I didn't make a system. I don't know if anyone made a system. There are definitely different opinions of what's right and wrong. What I am saying is that anyone who wants any information, anything they feel they're not sure about, anything they're insecure about, or anything that there's nothing to be ashamed of. These are, these are typical topics that any roof and any chusen rebbe, chusen madrich, or any kala teacher deals with it every day. And if you're going to be ashamed and you don't want to know and you're going to feel resentful why somebody's not helping with this information in a more comfortable way, you might just be hurting yourself. So I do think that people should um, definitely feel free to reach out to somebody one-on-one and discuss things either face-to-face or with somebody who could help you understand your situation, apply the information correctly, and help you enjoy your relationship the best possible. So let me go on now to another feedback. Um, okay. This week's share was outstanding. Okay, so she writes that, uh, he or she writes that it's number 137696. Maybe we'll figure out in a minute what that's about. Okay, I liked it a lot. I agree that victimhood doesn't get one anywhere and that every spouse should see what they can do as individuals to improve their marriage. Okay, this was a share about an article that basically, let's call it validated, that somebody feels like a victim and somebody feels like they were hurt already and they're burnt and they're hardened heart and they can't anymore forgive and they can't even work on the relationship. So it sounded like the writer was saying that, you know, it's okay. You can't, you can't. And, and, and the husband should understand that the wife just, just can't anymore. Okay. The most important line to me, the one that I wanted you to elaborate on, was that there, that there are areas in which spouses should find connection and use that to nurture the relationship. Would you be able to provide practical ideas on how spouses who are different can foster relationships, friendship, and a close relationship? Finally, was it my husband who brought Mrs. Radcliffe's article to your attention? If not, the coincidence is too funny. I want you to know... Okay, so let me just throw one over here. I, I can't tell you how many emails I got from women asking me if their husband was the one that pointed out this article to me. Which means that very many women used that article and showed it to their husband. Which just proved the point that this article could be used in the wrong way. And I can tell you that none of the women that reached out to me about this question were right. It wasn't anyone, it wasn't, it wasn't any one of those that emailed to me. Let me just mention that. I want you to know that I'm very past that I'm way past victimhood and vindictiveness in my marriage. I'm totally at peace with the fact that Hashem orchestrated my marriage and my life as it is. I think the difference of viewpoint between Mrs. Radcliffe and yourself is one of idealism versus reality. Yes, ideally, when a spouse reaches out to another, their overturns should not be rebuffed. Their overtures should not be rebuffed. In reality, though, there comes a time when a spouse just loses interest. It is not chazushulm revenge on my part. I feel terrible for what my husband suffers in our marriage, I promise. At this point, I honestly feel worse for him than for me. I just don't know how to rekindle the flame inside me to make myself to be interested. Which is what I keep on asking again and again. Instead of bashing the column in the mishpacha, for opening people's eyes, perhaps it would make sense to acknowledge that really, what really happens in a sad, dysfunctional marriage. And yes, I wish with all my heart that I would have read this article earlier on in my marriage. It could have prevented so much heartache. Most people don't identify with an issue that doesn't pertain to them. Personally, I skim the column, and if it discusses something that doesn't interest me, I turn the page. And if it makes me cry, or my husband indignant, indignant, there's a reason for that. It's very hard to erase years of emotional disconnect with the simple directive of stop being the victim. So here are my questions to you. Why would a wife give her husband such an article to read, if not for the fact that something is bothering her? Why are we shooting the mailman, so to speak? Why, While I can hear your frustration of why you think it's wrong for the wife to read this, can you put that aside for a minute and say, why did the husband get this article from his wife, and what could he do to undo the built-up hurt? Number two, of course it's wrong to justify any bad behavior for any reason. Bad is bad, but do you truly, do you truly believe that one can simply ignore the past completely and move forward? Is that realistic? 
And number three, 100% agree that a man can suffer greatly at the hands of his wife. But you also see how many men there are out there who truly believe that a wife is, inf- is an inferior human being, a nuisance, whom you just have to tolerate because the Torah said so. I see this across the spectrum from Balbatish to very Chesidish. There are very many w- men who do not speak nicely or at all to their wives. What do you expect of these wives after years of trying? I don't feel like the victim or anything other than... I don't feel like the victim of anything other than Hashem's master plan. Telling someone to stop being a victim is like telling a depressed person to stop being depressed. Something dies inside when there's no connection. Can you focus on the actual suggestion of things that are tired of the and 2020 that couples can do to improve emotional connection? Day-to-day examples and ideas would be enormously helpful. I'm very inspired by your share and I'm grateful for your no-nonsense approach and clarity. I also think that the weekly relationship column and the Meshpacha are outstanding and the realistic portrayal of how relationships can go wrong. Okay. So, I hope that wasn't too long. Let me just say the following. I do understand the feeling of burnout and victimhood. I do. And, and I don't mean to devalidate anyone feeling like that. My point is not to shoot the messenger who is saying that there's such a thing as victimhood or somebody who feels like a victim or somebody who feels like they can't anymore. And I feel bad for anyone who's, who's experiencing that, by the way. Um, my issue isn't the feeling. And my advice is not to stop feeling that way. I want to make this clear. When you tell us a depressed person to stop being depressed, you're telling them to stop feeling the way they're feeling. And that's obviously not practical. When you tell someone to stop feeling hurt or stop feeling burnt out, that's, that's just as unproductive, not a question. I think what my point was, and my point is, is that using this feeling and having it be validated by somebody saying, well, this is how people feel. And now you can turn to your spouse and say, listen, hey, hubby, this is how I feel. And now you have a problem because I feel this way. That, that's where I think it's being misused. In other words, to write, a, uh, to write an article, and again, I don't mean the article writer, I have nothing against this writer, I'm just, I was just mentioning the idea which I saw being misused in relationships. To write an article and say, look, it says over here that it's normal for me to feel like I can't forgive you anymore, and there's a normal feeling that many people are experiencing, and that's why you know, you're going to have to deal with this now. You're going to have to work very hard to get me back, because it says, this is, this is what it says. That's where it's wrong, to use on someone else. As a matter of fact, if you use your depression on someone else, and say, listen, I'm depressed, you're going to have to work very hard if you, wanna, if you want me to, to be here for you. I'm depressed. That, that's where it's wrong. And that's where there's a certain amount of responsibility as an adult. And I know it's not easy. I, I don't mean to say it's easy. And we all have our own challenges. And you can believe, believe me, I, I know that emotional challenges are real. I don't mean to do away with them. Using it on someone else and now feeling justified because you have a feeling that somebody actually said is a real feeling. And many people feel that way. That, that is wrong. You, you don't get off the hook and, and be less responsible because now you have a feeling. It, it's, 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 it's definitely very wrong. And by the way, just because this turns into a men-woman issue, yes, there are definitely people on both sides of the mechitza that, that behave wrong. I, didn't, I, I hope I didn't sound like I'm coming across with anything against women, men. It happens to be that this kind of feeling of, well, I'm feeling so hurt and I'm not anymore here to invest in a relationship and things like that. I, I think I happen to hear it more often from women than men, but not because I think that women are worse or behave worse or, or less kind than men at all. No, definitely not the, the idea. So... Like anything I say, and often I mention it, sometimes I forget to mention it. Regardless of who's writing to me, whether it's a man or a woman, I definitely feel like there's just as much heartache and problems and just as much success and happiness from women as there are from men, and, and it goes both ways. So I hope it didn't sound like, like this was anything um, that, I, that I was referring to. Another thing I want to mention, and I probably mentioned it in the past, and I'm saying it again. I have a class, I have a class on Torah Anytime um, titled The Victim and the Perpetrator. The idea of the victim and the perpetrator class is that very often the one who feels like a victim 
and, and comes with a whole list of complaints to somebody, you know, you're hurting me and you're hurting me and you're hurting me and I'm so hurt and I'm so hurt and I'm so hurt, which then leads us to feel like, well, now I'm justified because I'm so hurt already. Very often that's the person that actually could be at least as much perpetrator to the other person. Not always, but very often. So sometimes when you, when you hold up an article to your spouse, okay, again, men or women, men, men or women, it doesn't matter who, you hold up an article and say, here it says that someone who's hurt so much can't forgive. It's very normal, and that's why I can't forgive you, without realizing, you know what, maybe your spouse could also hold up this article and say, hey, you know, it's right, it says that you can't forgive, so I can't forgive you either. The fact that they're not saying it doesn't mean they don't feel that way. The fact that you're saying it doesn't mean that you're the one more hurt. It doesn't mean that they're the one more hurting. Very important point. In my book, I have a chapter called Why Therapists Get It Wrong, and now I'm giving out the book in Yiddish, and I'm elaborating more on that chapter. And again, I don't mean anyone specific, I don't mean therapists, I don't mean anyone. But very often the way a situation is presented is that, you know, here you have a person who's, who's crying bloody murder. It's crazy, I'm such a victim, I'm being so hurt. And the person says, wow, that's terrible. If you're feeling that hurt, then I understand why you can't forgive. And the other one is not saying that. And that's why they don't get that green card, you know, that easy pass of, you know, if you're feeling so hurt, you don't have to forgive. Maybe, maybe in real life, maybe, maybe deep down, maybe internally, that person's feeling even more hurt. And they just don't say it that way. They don't express themselves the same way. Maybe they don't experience things the same way. What I'm saying is that very often the person holding the card, aside from the fact that I disagree with the card as being something that justifies a behavior towards someone else, I'm not even sure that the right person is holding the card. Very often the person who feels so burnt out is the person who burnt someone else out. Not always. So I don't, I don't need everyone getting defensive about this. It's something to think about. You could be holding a card that you think belongs to you, you could identify with, and you could wonder why, why you could feel so good that somebody gave it to you without realizing... Maybe the person across from you could hold up the same card and say, you know, you hurt me all these years. You want, I, I'm, still, I'm still invested. I'm still here to do something for you. It's not easy. Maybe you could find it within yourself to do the same for me. So that's just another uh, something to think about. And very often people misuse information in this sense. And that's another reason why such an article is not always good. Just recently, somebody was giving a, a whole series of, sh- of shirim. Some people might know who I'm referring to about BPD. Okay, Borderline Personality Disorder explaining elaborately what BPD is and what all the tendencies and what, the, what you'll see in somebody who has a, this kind of personality disorder. Again, forget about how helpful or not helpful the actual shear is and forget about if there's real guidance or not you know, in, these, in, in this series. But I've seen it misused. I've seen relationships where the one who definitely had, it seems, like definitely had a personality disorder was listening to the shear and say, you know what, based on what I'm hearing, my spouse has a personality disorder. So based on what this person's saying, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to that because I'm dealing with somebody who has BPD. So I'm just saying this is we have to be careful when you're offering information. Now, the reason why I feel comfortable offering information that I offer sometimes is because I'm always, always suggesting and encouraging the listener or the person reading my article or the person reading my book to do what they could do to help the relationship. You're feeling hurt? Let's see what you could do to make the other person treat you better. You're feeling not so, you're feeling jipped? You're feeling not good? You're feeling, let's see, what could you do? Is there something you could do? Now, if that's the attitude you're going to hear from me, then I, I don't think I can go wrong. Because if you take, give this share to your spouse, say, listen, Rabbi Grun says that you should do whatever you could do, then you just misuse the information. That's not, I, I don't take blame for that. But if you're going to teach people that there are times that you're hurt and there are times that it's the other person that has to do something, that could be misused. So aside from the fact that it might be wrong, aside from the fact that it could be misinterpreted, people could actually go and use that to harm someone or to cause more damage than there was already. And that was my issue that I had with that article and, and I have with people who... Um, now, you, happen, you mentioned that if only I would have read this article earlier in my marriage, I really don't know what you would have had from reading that article earlier. You'd have to explain that to me. I'm not sure what you have from reading it today. I'm not sure what you would have from reading it earlier to know that you might become one day a hardened heart or to feel er- earlier in your relationship that you're you know, 
put there from doing anything. I, I, I didn't get that part. Now, the most important part, which we're asking, Lamai said, rekindling a relationship. What could a, a, a couple do to rekindle a relationship? Let me just mention this. It's a, it's a broader subject than that, and you have to be creative to come up with ideas about what you can really do. But I think what it starts with sometimes, and I, think, I, I hope people understand this one-on-one very often in their relationships, it starts with making a bend in the page. If you don't know how to make a bend in the page and say, you know what, until here was this, from now will be different, which means, I understand that till now we weren't happy. I understand that till now I had this many complaints. I understand that till now I felt this much validation and this much justification, this much victimhood. And I'm right about it. And I'm willing to make a bend in the page and see what we can do going forward differently. And you sit down and you acknowledge that with your spouse. Things weren't good. I wasn't happy. You weren't happy. Or only I wasn't happy, whatever it is. I think that if we keep on looking back and keep on connecting the dots and keep on seeing if things are getting better or not or keep on th- seeing if last months or last years or last decades problems are still happening or not, that's it. We're going to put it aside. It's not easy. Very many people cannot do this. Very many people cannot give up on, on having that baggage, that, that little bag where they hold all their complaints to just in case they have to take it out and say, you know, I want to forgive you, but I can't. Some people love, they love that. You ask me to forgive you, I'll try, but I don't know if I could. They like holding on to it, like just in case I have to take it out and use it against you. Or what do I do if you're going to come home late again? I won't be able to say, well, again, you're coming home late. No, you won't be able to. Isn't that terrible? You'll be able to say, I would appreciate if you come home earlier, which might not be the way you express yourself in the past, but you won't be able to say, oh, it's always, you said you're going to do it and again, I can't trust you. No. Could you put away the things in the past? In other words, to rekindle a relationship, are you ready to rekindle it from the sny, like a new page, or you're not ready? You want, on top of all the baggage, Right? Everything that you, you stuck under the carpet, which is almost by the ceiling, you want to build a relationship on top of that. You can't do that. You're willing to start again, and it's not easy, and say, listen, going forward, what could we do? What is, it that, that, what, what is it that I would appreciate? What is it that I would appreciate in this relationship that would happen? Maybe some of the things I'd appreciate I have to start giving up on. Maybe some things I have to accept. Maybe we can negotiate. Maybe we can compromise. What is it that might make us feel better? I'll tell you what I want. You tell me what you want. Let's work together. It's not easy. It's not easy. There are people who are much more comfortable saying, no, I'm, I'm not interested. This doesn't work for me. Based on what I had already at this point, you could, you could come running after me. If you run fast enough and you shower me with enough love and care and affection and, and compliments and favors and, and, and whatever, then, then maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But you're going to have to work very hard for that, like the article was, was um, describing. If that's your attitude, then you can't rekindle the relationship. It's very hard for somebody to overcome years of... of, of whether it's abuse or damage or whatever it is, even if it's just perceived, even if it's not real. But the fact that you're holding on to so many years of, of problems, it's very hard for somebody to, 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 to give you enough that's going to erase all of it. So if you want to rekindle the relationship, you might have to start again. You might have to tell someone, I'm not going to mention the things that you did to me, you're not going to mention things I did to you, let's really try to start again. And it's very hard. It's very hard. So, so think articles or speeches or anything that's promoting a feeling of you know, at this point, I'm just burnt out and feeling like it's okay and it's normal and it's, you can use that against someone, you could use it in your relationship or feel that you're not doing anything wrong, I think is, is definitely a problem. So I hope that something I said over here was helpful. Okay. So here's another similar feedback. Um, so let me just let me just first read. There, big one. Thank you very much for the amazing podcast you have published on LinkedIn, addressing a question of mine in a very elaborate way. Okay. So just to mention, I have a podcast um, Torah Clarity with Rabbi Gruen I have a LinkedIn page for those who want I don't uh, run it myself I don't have access to social media but, but I have somebody running it for me so whoever wants could find me all over the place I did want to comment or react I didn't want to comment or react publicly on the platform for privacy reasons which I'm sure you can understand but this article deserves millions of likes 
Okay? Thank you. To be honest, it resonated very well in me. You opened my eyes on the fact that my husband is probably a victim as much as I am. Okay? Similar idea. But, but he might be suffering in a different way. It's, very important. it's a very important point, and it would certainly help couples in their journey to a strong, strong bias. Nevertheless, my situation goes a bit beyond the conclusion of this year. I did want to make my marriage work, and even managed to make my husband shine. My husband's midas were so terrible when I got married that I sincerely thought he had a psychological disorder. I secretly investigated it, but came to the conclusion that he had serious childhood issues. Hashem blessed me to bear this challenge and gave me the wisdom to work on it. We both put in tremendous work and effort for the past many years. No time to go through all the details, but we moved mountains. He accepted my openness to the world and needed a need to positivity, while I accepted to help him resolve his emotional issues. Through affection, tolerance, acceptance, respect, understanding, chachma, unconditional love, patience, humor, and perseverance, we made it till now so well that nobody could ever notice how things are still very challenging in my heart. He's now very well respected and admired when everybody hated him for his attitude and looked down at him quite a few years ago. He's now a father that my children can respect and get along with, even though at the beginning they were set to hate him. He adores me so much, he would do anything to please me. I'm not saying that to promote myself, but to show how hard I tried to make it work. Anyone you, anyone you meet that knew him before he got married, and said that he will never get married, they won't even recognize me. He's a totally different person. In theory, I should have the happiest marriage, but I still feel miserable. I have self-pity, but I hate self-pity, but this is, this is my true feeling. The huge lack of physical attraction and emotional connection is pushing me further and further. You mentioned sometimes people can be difficult to please. There you touched a very, 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 very sore point. I am very difficult to please, yes, but only by him. My biggest heartache comes from the fact that I could be so satisfied by another man with just a bit more compatibility. Please don't judge me for what I just said. I kept my marriage kosher and away from anything not good, but his behavior and his whole being pushes me to observe other, others and pay attention to their abilities to please. It's a very dangerous situation, so I have to work hard on overcoming this. We have had hours and hours of open discussion with my husband and all sorts of support, but nothing worked on my side. His love toward me kept on growing, while mine is just a friendship. It's not that... Okay, um, it's a little emotional here, so I'm just leaving out some, some lines. I don't want to destroy him, but there's a limit... So there's a limit how much resentment I can share with him. The frustration is huge and nothing further can be done about it. The connection is not broken. It's simply not there. I hate everything he does when it comes to... It's not his fault. I just find his personality totally incompatible with mine. The more he tries, the more I get irritated because what I need from him is not him. I can't force him to be someone he's not. Firstly, because this is ethically wrong. And secondly, because it just doesn't work. He is my best friend, but I need a husband. I feel I reached the end of, my, the, end of the work to help him shine and help see his light, but my being is so incompatible with his that I don't think any anymore there's anything anyone can do anymore. If not for the children, we would not be together, but I hope that for now we, we will be able to stick it out. Things are not easy as they seem, but you you have made a brilliant presentation. I'm sure it will help hundreds of couples with more superficial issues. Thank you for the chizik and you, you spread online, and I wish you tremendous atzlacha. So, let me say the following. The first thing I want to say, and I mean it when I say this, I feel for you. I feel for you, and I feel for anyone going through hardship in relationship, hardship in personal life, hardship in interpersonal life. Those that could or should be doing something about it, those that can't, whoever it is, anyone that struggles, I, I, I feel for you. Especially those who feel that they can't do anything about it, and especially those who talk can't do anything about it. I feel for you. Different people struggle in different ways in this world. Some with health, and some with poverty, and some with happiness, some with relationships, and some with other things. And I feel for you. I feel for anyone who's struggling. And I hope nothing I say comes across as feeling less for you because I think there might be something you could do about it. For example, like I started off with, some people just take it personally, the fact that somebody answered a question and made it sound like they could be doing something about it, and, and really they can't. Oh, okay, so I, I feel for you anyway, regardless. Um, let me just say this 
And again, nothing personal. I don't know who's writing to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know if everything you're saying is true or nothing you're saying is true. I have no idea. So I'm just saying this to share the ideas publicly and have people gain from this. Very often when it comes to a person, personally, when it comes to them, it's harder to relate to something because it's them. Because, that's, because it's them, because it's me. You know, the joke that I mention every once in a while about the guy who heard... Um, the guy who heard his friend talk about what a bad day he had, and he said, oh, it could have been worse. Worse than that? What could have been worse? Could have been worse. If it happened to me, it would have been worse. It's not such a silly joke. Very often, things make sense when it comes to other people, and when it comes to ourselves, it doesn't make sense anymore. I was talking to somebody who came to me for help, and he came to me anonymously. Uh, it took time for me to realize who it was. Not many people come anonymously, which is fine. I don't, I don't, I don't do my detective work. It just... Sometimes I figure it out. Um, but many people call me anonymously or even come to my office anonymously without telling me a name. He tells me that he helps people with showing bias. He helps people with their marriages. He's very successful. When it comes to his marriage, you know, he can't help himself. Okay, that's fine. That's, that's valid. So I'm trying to help him. And after listening to me for a while, he tells me, listen, everything you're telling me now is true. And this is everything I would share with other people. In my marriage, this won't work. In my marriage, this won't work. Sorry. And he actually came to me another time or two and tried discussing it again and getting more clarity, but no, in my marriage, this won't work. I'll tell you something. He didn't even try it. He didn't try it. Because in his marriage, this won't work. Now, I'm not here to talk negative, negatively about anyone, especially a person without a name. I'm just saying, the, the point is not that, that, that I, I'm not judging him. It's normal for somebody who understands something very logically and be really clear about it to feel that in my marriage, this won't work. Now, me as an outsider, interesting, I, I didn't hear him talk about ideas and I said, you know what, why don't you try it yourself? And he said, no, it doesn't work for me. He didn't give me those ideas. Hearing his story, these are the ideas I came up with, and they're quite typical. They're quite, maybe not so typical, maybe a little drastic, the situation was a little drastic, but I'm saying they're typical for such situations. And I wasn't surprised to hear him feel that for me, this doesn't work. So again, when I, when I give advice to somebody and I get a long letter back that for me, this doesn't work, I understand that this is how you feel. And if you're right, I feel for you. And if... You're not right, and you're just being a little too subjective. I don't know. Again, don't take it personal. If you're being subjective and feeling like, in my relationship, nothing you said um, pertains to me, there's nothing I can do about that. Okay, listen, if that's how you feel, you, you might be right and you might not, and it's always important to, you know, it's always important to, to, to think about maybe just maybe something. Maybe something. Maybe something of what was discussed. Maybe something about what's being discussed. Maybe it's something you could do. Sometimes people see it in black and white terms of, of that this is not going to help my marriage become what it should be. What, you, what you're discussing, what you're describing as what might do it in the marriage and rekindle or, or, or help a marriage or fix a marriage, my marriage can't be fixed. And that's why what? Is there anything I said that might pertain to you? Is there anything I said that you might be able to do just to drop better? Or you made peace with certain, you settled for less because you made peace with the fact that it's just not going to become what you wanted it to be. Very important point. If you hear advice, 10 pieces of advice, and it sounds like the person offering the advice thinks or feels that this is the magic is going to fix relationships and you feel it won't fix your relationship there's nothing in all those 10 pieces of advice that you can do to make anything just a little better maybe if you'd be more motivated to try at least something even though it feels very far and very far-fetched maybe you'd get somewhere and I think there's something that everyone has to ask themselves instead of just picking up your hands and saying listen I did everything I could there's nothing that could be done and for me this doesn't work I mean there's a reason why you sent me in that question originally you probably felt there's something I might be able to do it's just that when I gave the advice you didn't think it was so novel that, that you should try it. But I'm telling you, I think that if you think about what's the real important things in your life, are you willing to see if there's anything you can do to inch forward, just a drop, to make things a little better? Is there anything that would happen that would make you even a drop happier that might still be able to happen? Or nothing? 
I think that when people get into those that black and white mode of that splitting perception of nothing could be done anymore, I, I, I think I, I think it's a mistake, and I don't know, I don't know. So instead of sometimes it feels better to just make peace with something instead of trying and struggling without realizing that don't struggle for perfection, don't struggle to get somebody that looks far fetched to you. Just just move forward and don't don't sit in your place and don't. If there's anything, anything that this husband of yours who's so incompatible and so incompetent maybe, if there's anything he could do that would make you happy and you feel that he could do it, ask him nicely or help him do it. Anything. It's not going to make you very happy, but it might make you just a drop happier. Do it. Keep on investing. Don't give up on a relationship. And this is what people sometimes just, uh, you know, feel like it's not going to work. And very often people say, it, and, and I, again, I don't mean nothing personal. I hope nobody takes this personally. I would have gotten divorced. If not for the kids, I'd be divorced. If not for this, I'd be divorced. If, not, if I'd be younger, I'd be divorced. You want to be divorced? Get divorced. You can get divorced. The Torah says you're allowed to get divorced. I'm nothing against people who got divorced. For, I don't judge anyone who got divorced. If you're not getting divorced, don't talk about it. Don't, don't say it all day. Don't think about it. Don't keep on telling it to yourself. Don't keep on making it sound like, you know, I'm, I'm only here because, you know, whatever. I, I really wouldn't, but, you know, it doesn't help you. These thoughts don't help you. These thoughts of the right thing for me would be to get out of the marriage. I just can't. So what do I do? I'm stuck. But that's what I should have done. It doesn't help you. It doesn't. It just makes you more resentful. It makes you feel more stuck. It makes you feel more flat tired than anything else. You want to get divorced? Go ahead. You can't? Then skip. Then it's not an option anymore. Don't even think about it. Don't, it doesn't, don't even think about it. it. It's not an option. It's not an option. If you realize that these are the thoughts that, that kill people's motivation and kill kill people's hopes to make things a little better because it's better than divorce. So, you know, it's a friendship. If there's anything that you feel that you might be able to accomplish, go ahead with it. Don't, don't stay stuck. And let me just add one more thing. If it's true what you're telling me, and there's nothing that could be done, there's nothing that could be done, and that's why you're so resentful, that's why you're so unhappy, then there's something about acceptance, as hard as it is, and it's very hard to accept. And, and sometimes people say, well, I accepted, and I'm, I'm, I accepted the unhappiness. True acceptance is very hard to achieve. And it might be a big madraiga, and it might be hard to work on, but true acceptance means I accept the fact that this might not change, and I accept the fact that this person means well, and I'm going to look for the good that there is now, because I accept the fact that it might not be able to change. Just like some people accept other difficulty. I'm not going to go into what it is, but sometimes, whether it's health issues or other things that people know they can't do anything about, they accept it, and, and they try to find the happiness that there is, instead of keep on keeping on noticing something. When you notice the, the, the not good, very often it's because you want it to change. And rightfully so. And you might be able to make a change, like I said. But if you can't, acceptance is, is, is very hard to work on. But sometimes when you actually accept something and you don't think it's going to change, you're able to find happiness in something that's that's very, very not compatible. People who have special needs children or, or children that are very dysfunctional and they accept them and they know that they have to accept them, and they can actually enjoy them. Now, I know it's a whole different idea and, and, and sometimes someone who has those needs or somebody who's so limited, it's easier to accept the idea of acceptance for somebody who's unhappy, instead of talking about it and thinking about it and harping on it and feeling how they should have gotten divorced or should have this or that. Sometimes that's the way to go. But I do believe that there are things that you could do to make yourself happier. So, if I'm wrong, I hope you don't feel judged and I, I ask forgiveness for anyone who's feeling challenged by anything I'm saying. And I'm only saying because I don't know who I'm talking to and that's why I'm taking the liberty of sharing these ideas. And I hope at least some people will find some chizik from this or some encouragement from this. Let me mention one more feedback. It's a little late. It's taking a little long, actually, but let me mention one more feedback. Dear by Grown, I want to express my appreciation to you for your weekly show. I enjoy listening and hearing how you take apart different subjects and bring in clarity and insight. And I'm always able to take out some good points that can help me in my life. I want to bring up a subject that is not spoken about often in, my, in our community, and thus it is a struggle 
that me myself as well as others have. As much as I, as much as we know, we have to, tr- we need to, and we try to watch our eyes. The challenge is real and a constant struggle. So what can a husband do when he feels jealous of other women out there and is un- unhappy with the way his wife looks or dresses, and she does not look attractive to him? Can a husband ask his wife to dress a certain way? And what can he do if he, if she doesn't want, or she's not comfortable doing what he wants? Thank you so much. So I think last year. Pasha's Devurim, that's what, I'm, that's what I just jotted down when I got the question. I, I spoke about this. And again, I, I, didn't, I didn't read it, and you can go back and look for it. Um, but I did speak about this in the past, it seems. Firstly, let me just mention that, yeah, I'm, I'm reading this out loud because this is very common. Very many people feel this way. It's, it's very real. The struggle is real. Like, like this young man is writing, the struggle is real. As with any personal struggle, I mean, let me first mention this. Your personal struggle is your own. Okay? Anyone struggling personally with anything, it's, it's your own struggle. Hashem didn't tell you to find who to blame for something that's difficult for you, or find who should take responsibility or fix your problem. You have to remember that. Yeah, you're dealing with something, it's, it's your own struggle. That's what Hashem wants from us, to struggle. And to overcome the challenges that, that, he's, that He's giving us. To find reasons why somebody else could be making it easier or harder for us, and, and then shift any kind of sensibility is, is always wrong. And very often it falls into some codependency problem where somebody else has to take responsibility you know, for a problem or a challenge that we have. So to blame any shortcomings or any violations or any whatever it may be on somebody else is, is always wrong. We know that Hashem is teaching us. We read it last week in the Parsh. It's not easy. It's not easy. Hashem didn't put it in the Seres Adibris because He was expecting each person's wife to make them so happy that they don't have any challenges or temptations anymore. No, it's a very real and big challenge. And sometimes, no matter what your wife will do or won't do, or what she's obligated to do, or what she's not, or what she's not obligated to do, really won't make a difference in your challenge. As a matter of fact, we know that a booker, before he gets married, right, all single men, are also obligated with the same obligation. So to say that I'm looking for somebody to, 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 you know, to take care of this problem for me is, 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 is usually not the right way to go. On the other hand, it's true that Chazal do teach us that when a person has pasbasale, when a person's happy, when a person's happily married, which is one of the reasons why you get married young, so you overcome certain temptations and difficulties, it's supposed to help a lot. It is supposed to help a lot. And it's important, I think, that women hear that men struggle with these things so they take it seriously. Your husband doesn't have to tell you his struggles for you to know that he's a man, he's a healthy human being, and if he's not feeling good uh, you know, at home, then he might have bigger struggles and it might be harder for him to overcome. Does it mean that you're to blame? Does it mean that he's now absolved from taking responsibility because his wife's not making him happy? No, but it's something to think about. And if you could be making someone happy and you don't, maybe you should. Maybe you should. So I think that's... Um, and forget about when, when women do it for other people and look attractive when they go out or when they talk to other people, they have a certain attitude or a certain way they dress or a certain way they present themselves and at home they don't. That's definitely, that's definitely a problem. So again, it doesn't mean that your husband now is not uh, responsible anymore, but it does mean that, that this could be causing a problem. So now just to answer the question, I, I think there's nothing wrong with a man asking his wife to do something or behave a certain way that can make him feel good, as long as he's asking nicely. I don't see what the problem with that will be. Uh, if it doesn't come across in a controlling manner or a demanding manner or in a disappointed manner where you're making someone feel bad that they're not what you want them to be or they're not uh, you know, fulfilling something you want or things like that, which makes people feel bad, I think just asking in a nice way I think is okay. I think in most cases when somebody does ask the right way in a nice way, I think most often a spouse will be more than happy to make them feel good. If it's being asked nicely, I don't see why not. Now, what if you turn down? If you turn down, then you have to remember that doesn't it doesn't change your personal struggle. 
it doesn't change the rules of, of what you're supposed to be doing or not doing. And you shouldn't blame someone else for anything. You can now go and uh, you know do chaz v'shulam. And people do that sometimes. They, they, they try to justify their wrongdoings with the fact that somebody else is not uh, meeting up to their needs. And I'll tell you clearly, very often it's not the answer. There are very many people who unfortunately are doing what they shouldn't and, 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 and they have wives that are trying to make them very happy. And I say that to women as well. Sometimes you're going to be trying to make your husband very happy and there's only so much you could do and it's not working. Okay, well you did yours. So if there's anyone out there who feels that they could be helping their husband to make them happier, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. And the other way around as well. If any husband out there who can make his wife happy, I don't see why he wouldn't. And if anyone feels like they're struggling and they can't you know, overcome something and try to blame someone else for it, I think, I think that's wrong. So I don't think any woman should feel responsible or guilty because her husband has, has challenges, but I do think that it's something that women want to take care of and want to make their husbands uh, feel good about and, and try to help them. I think that every man who tries to ask his wife nicely and make her feel good for the things that she's doing for him and, and, and make her feel special, make her feel cared for and loved instead of just demanding and showing that you're unhappy with someone or blaming them and things like that. I definitely think that's a, a good uh, recipe you know, to build a relationship and feel comfortable and feel close with each other and be happy to fulfill each other's needs and take care of each other and live together.